Welcome to the Hills, whether you're at the West Fort Worth campus, the Southwest campus, or watching online. I am so glad that you are with us. Forgive the raspy voice, I'm fighting that. But I would not want to be anywhere else but right here, right now, because of the things that God has put in my heart to share with you. Starting a three-week series on generosity. And you just witnessed an example of what that looks like. And didn't it make fill us all with joy? And let me tell you what I loved about that video. I loved that it didn't happen by accident. That young man raised over $200 for dollar donation because he's being intentionally discipled. You see, his parents are teaching their children to experience the truth of one of Jesus' most counter-cultural sayings. Now, Jesus was always saying things that were counterintuitive, that seemed backward or upside down. Jesus said, for example, the way to respond to cursing is blessing. Uh, the way to be most alive is to die to yourself. The way to be the greatest is to be the least. But maybe the most counterintuitive thing he ever said was repeated by Paul in Acts 20 when Jesus said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, nothing in our culture, on our social media, in our advertising industry agrees with that statement. That is backwards. Everything around us says to us, it is blessed to receive. So what we want to do for three weeks is we're just going to see, does Jesus know what he's talking about? And one thing that makes it easy for me is I'm preaching at a church full of people who actually believe that Jesus knows what he's talking about. And so I'm excited to share an update with you. We've been in for a couple of years something called a Courage Campaign. Our goals were to completely build and fund and launch debt-free a new campus in West Fort Worth, which we've done. Then uh, to uh, completely renovate our South Lake campus. And then uh, to support all of our church plans and all of our missionaries. And then ultimately to do some needed work here on this campus. So for the last two years, we've supported all our missionaries, all our church plants. We've launched West Forth. Last November, we told you, for our uh, harvest offering, our goal was $5.6 million. Two point six for church plants and missionaries. We needed three more, three million more dollars of pledges and cash so that we could launch South Lake and pay for it. Okay, on that weekend, that first weekend, we had four point five million dollars given and pledged, and the number's been growing. So let me give you the update. This is where we stand right now. Let's celebrate this. Okay, we have reached our goal. We now have the money and cash and pledges to completely break ground on South Lake Campus, renovate that, and do it debt-free. Like I said, I'm full of joy to be at a church full of people who believe Jesus knows what He's talking about. And every time I share an announcement like that in any campus, applause breaks out, and we experience the truth of what Jesus said. It is more blessed to give. But blessed for who? So, this three-week series has a, the most simple outline. It blesses others. It blesses us. But I think most of all, it blesses God. And that's where I want to start with this teaching. That by being generous, we bless God. Now, 
The Bible is full of commands to bless the Lord. But what does that mean? Now, I know what it means when God blesses me. When God blesses me, He adds something that I need. He gives me more strength or peace or hope or grace. But how do we bless God? You and I cannot add anything to God. He is sufficient in Himself. But when we bless or magnify God, we're not making God greater. What we're doing is we're recognizing and we're helping other people see how great He actually is. To bless God is to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To bless God is to live and give like He has no rival and no equal. That He is first, greatest, and nothing or no one compares to Him. Now, here's the thing. Jesus knew that nothing competes for allegiance to God like money. So he was probably the very first preacher to ever be criticized. All he talks about is money. One-sixth of all his statements, one-third of all his parables are about money. Jesus talks about money more than any other subject except the kingdom of God, and the two are connected because you cannot enthrone God until you dethrone money. I'll be very vulnerable. I've been a preacher for 40 years. If I have one main regret, I haven't talked about money enough. I've been reticent. That's on me. Because Jesus talked about it all the time. Not because he was interested in making money, but because he was intentional about making disciples. And Jesus knew the surest way to discern what somebody really treasures is to discover what they do with their treasures. Here's another thing he said that seems backwards. He said, Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, we think, oh, no, no, where my heart is, that's where I'll put my treasure. Jesus said, that's not how it works. Jesus said generosity is important because it reveals if God is important. Where you put your money is the clearest indicator of what you think really matters. When it comes to discerning true devotion to God, Jesus doesn't follow the mouth. He follows the money. Everybody comes up to Jesus saying, Lord, Lord. He says, that doesn't impress me. I'm not interested in the mouth. I want to know where the money went. Let me illustrate. So, ladies, you're dating a young man. And after some time, he gets down on his knee one day, reaches into his pocket, pulls out a Cracker Jack's plastic ring and says, will you marry me? And you express disappointment on the cost of the ring. And he pulls out the heart card and says, oh, baby, it don't matter what it costs. What matters is my heart. And you know that fool spent $1,000 last week on new rims for his truck. And he's about to put down $2,000 to go skiing with his buddies. So you tell that clown to get out of your face, and you go find you a real man. Don't listen to the mouth. Listen to the money. Because his money indicates where his heart really is. See, nothing says more about how important we think God is than what we think money is for. See, generosity is more than an act of charity. Generosity 
is the proclamation of your theology. Oh, that was deep. I need to say that again. Generosity is the clearest indicator of what you actually believe about God. And God is blessed when we use money to magnify His greatness, to reveal to the world what we really think about Him. Let's unpack that a little bit. How does our generosity bless God? Well, first, by recognizing His ownership. You see, the Scriptures are absolutely clear about God's absolute right to all things. Moses, who's the greatest prophet in the Bible besides Jesus, said in Deuteronomy 10, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. David, who's the greatest king in the Bible besides Jesus, said in Psalm 24, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world, and all who live in it. But let's go even higher. Let's listen to God Himself in Job 41. Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. Do you know this is the first thing the Bible teaches? The first words of the Bible, in the beginning God created. The very first thing the Bible teaches is God made it so it ain't yours. Now, this is a top button truth. You know what I mean? If you mess up the top button and everything behind it gets messed up, you got to get this one right. So, I'm going to help you remember. I want everyone to repeat after me. Ready? I was born completely naked. I will die empty-handed. In between. I must manage God's stuff. Okay, let's say that again like you mean it. Ready? I was born completely naked. I will die empty-handed. In between, I must manage God's stuff. See, we bless God when we behave like entrusted children instead of entitled children. Does it bless you when your kids act entitled? When you do for them and they act like you owe it to them, they don't thank you and they whine and they act spoiled, does that bless you? It blesses God when we act like entrusted children instead of entitled children. And the chief way the Scriptures reveal that we do this is through something the Bible calls Tithing. Now, tithe is a word that just means one-tenth. And God set up an economy in the Old Testament where you would take one-tenth of all you produced and you give it to God as a way of expressing His ownership. Deuteronomy 14. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Let me be clear. It wasn't, okay, God, I give you 10% and the 90% is mine. No, the tithe was your way of acknowledging it. It's all God's. That's why the Bible never says, give God a tithe. The Bible always says, bring God his tithe. Let me explain the difference. 
you walk up to me and say, Pastor Rick, I know you like golf. Well, my business is having this golf tournament, and I've got to go be in it, and I don't play golf, and I don't have any clubs, and where can I go get a cheap set of clubs? And I would say, don't go buy a set of golf clubs just for one day. Just use my clubs. So you borrow my golf clubs, and you call me two weeks later. You say, Pastor Rick, my wife and I have been talking and praying, and we love you so much, and you've done so much for our family. You know what? We're going to come over, and we're going to give you some golf clubs. No, you're not. You're not giving me golf clubs. You are bringing my golf clubs back to me if you want to go to heaven. That's what you're doing. (laughs) Because I never lost ownership of the golf clubs even though I entrusted you with them. That's what it means. Tithing is simply a recognition of reality that we don't actually own anything. I was born completely naked. And I will die empty-handed. So in between, I must manage God's stuff. So there's a man in our church, and I didn't meet with him. Another minister did and told me, and I had permission to use this story. He retired from a very successful career in his particular industry. And he got contacted by another firm to come back into that industry and work. Well, he didn't need the money. Wrestling with what he should do. He said, one Sunday he's listening to me preach. And the Holy Spirit said to him, take the job and give all of it to me. And he obeyed. So now for over a year, he's gone back into the marketplace and everything he earns He gives to God. And I thought when I heard that story, that was exceptional. But then I got to realize, well, well, you know what? Really, that's what we all do. We should all give everything to God. It's all God's. God, it's not, I give you your part now. I can do what I want. It's not, hey, can I afford it? It's God. It's your stuff. How do you want me to use it? It's all given to God for His purposes. And I can tell you what His purposes are. God gives you stuff to manage for two reasons. Number one, He wants you to enjoy it. Every good gift comes from God. God gives you his stuff so you can enjoy it. And second, so you can employ it. It blesses God when we're generous because we are embracing his mission. You see, you bless somebody by caring about what they care about. And God cares passionately about redeeming all that he's created that has been marred by sin. See, God's mission is not to call us to escape the world. It's to call us to join Him in renewing the world through acts of radical generosity. And do you realize all redemption hinges on the most radical act of generosity ever? The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. See, God gave the world Jesus. And Jesus gave the world His church. He said, I'm giving the world a church that's going to take on the gates of hell. I'm giving the world a church that's going to advance the mission of God. The church is plan A, plan B, and plan C to accomplish God's mission of rescuing the world. Now, That is why I always have and I always will tithe 
to whatever church I attend. You say, well, you say that because you're the preacher. No, I don't. I tithe to my church a long time before I was ever a preacher. And if God gives me years after I'm a preacher, I will still do it. Now, I can already hear some of the objection. I'm just going to deal with them up front. Number one, well, tithing is mainly in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. I concede that. If you will concede the lunacy of suggesting that we are motivated to do less under grace than we are if we were still under law. You say, well, doesn't say you have to tie it to the local church. I can see that. And I have some really, really good news for all of you. You ready? None of you have to give an account to me of what you do with God's stuff. You don't. So please don't send me an email. I don't need it. Because you're not going to answer to me. Jesus told all these parables about the master goes away and the master comes back. And the first question the master asks is, what would you do with my stuff? You ever had a teacher that said, I'm going to give you a final exam. And I'm going to tell you ahead of time what the question is going to be on the exam. That's what Jesus is doing. He's telling you. This is going to be on the final. What did you do with God's stuff? I'm not here to tell you what to say. I'm here to tell you, prepare your answer. Now, I got my answer. I'm going to say, well, Lord, I always took at least a tenth of everything you give me the capacity to earn, and I gave it to the local church to accomplish your mission. Now, on top of that, I had harvest offerings and renew offerings and charities and many other good things I could do. That's what I'm going to say. You decide, what are you going to say? And you need to know, I have never given to meet a church budget. I give to bless God by pursuing His mission. And when you study the very first church in the book of Acts, it's amazing how many times their radical generosity is noted. And every time their generosity is mentioned, it is followed by a growth statement. You see, it's not, well, churches grow and then they can be generous. No, churches are generous and they grow. You see, our generosity reflects our theology. Say it again. The clearest indicator of what you believe about God is how you manage His money. Our generosity shows that we care about what God cares about. And it also shows that we believe He cares about us. So I want to land the plane with what I think is the single most important reason to be generous. The way that our generosity blesses God more than any other, and it's simply this, that when we're generous, we are affirming God's character. I told you, the very first thing the Bible teaches us about God is that He owns everything. The second thing the Bible teaches about God is that everything God does is good. And that's the First thing, the enemy challenged. The serpent showed up and said, really? Why can't you have that? What's God's problem? Why is he holding out on you? Are you sure you can trust him? That's always been the challenge and the temptation. 
What do we believe about the character of God? You teach your kids to pray, God is great, God is good. You can't magnify the greatness of God if you don't affirm the goodness of God. And you know how God asked us to do that? It's all over the Bible. You keep saying this word, first. Seek first the kingdom. God said, the first son belongs to me. The first calf belongs to me. The first lamb belongs to me. The first fruit belongs to me. You see, they were an agrarian society. They survived by that crop coming in. And 30 times in the Bible, over 30 times, God says, I want the first fruits. You want to guess how many times God says, I want the last fruits? You see, that's his what God was saying. All right, that crop starts to come up. Oh, no, don't you get the whole harvest. Don't you go put 90% in your barn and then bring me the last 10%. You bring me the first 10%. Because when you do that, what you are declaring about me to everyone watching you is that I'm good. That you can count on me. That I'm going to come through for you. That I am trustworthy and keep my promises. We bless God by bringing the first because we're declaring our confidence He's going to bless the rest. I believe that with all my heart. That's why I tithe ever since I was a teenager. I honestly believe God blessing the 90% is going to be better for my life than an unblessed 100%. By the way, God promises here. Proverbs chapter 3, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new grape juice. That's what it says right there in the Bible. Doesn't it? Well, that must be a new translation. Anyway. Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house to test me in this. I thought we weren't supposed to test God. You're not unless he gives you permission. He gave you permission. Test me and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there'll be not room enough to store it. Or in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 9, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you'll be abound in every good work. You see, Old Testament, New Testament, you can't outbless God. You cannot outbless God. So I got an email from one of our fathers. And he and his wife had made a very sizable commitment to the Courage Campaign. But honestly, when they thought about the number that God put on their heart, it it filled them with fear. And I love this. They talked about it with their kids. I love when parents disciple their children in stewardship. You want your kids to believe that you really love God? Show them your checkbook. Because where your money's going is where your heart's going. So they're talking with their children at the table about the fear they're feeling about this commitment that they feel like God wants them to make. And their six-year-old son says, it's okay, Dad, you don't have to be scared. God made the money, and you can give it because he can always make more. He will take care of us. 
You see, the scarcity mindset, that mindset that says, if I give to God first, there won't be enough for me. It is challenging the idea that God is good. See, I think that's what sin is. Let me, we, we talk a lot about sin. Let me give you a new definition of sin. Sin at its core is my unwillingness to trust that obeying God will lead to my highest joy. Now think about what I just said. None of you make decisions to be miserable. You make the decisions you make because you believe by making them you are pursuing the path of joy. So if you choose to sin, what that decision is saying is God is an obstacle to my joy. I need to go outside the life God wants for me to find the joy I need for me. That's what sin is. What obedience is, is saying, God, you are good. You want the best for me. So if I do what you ask me to do, it is, in fact, the path to my highest joy. Every day you're confronted with the lie, God is an obstacle to your joy. And every time you rebuke that lie, you bless God. You see, ultimately, generosity is grounded in the gospel. I could give you a lot of verses that would motivate generosity, but this is my favorite in Romans 8. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? You see, God didn't hold back his best. And the father is blessed when his children believe the best about him. Can I tell you, as a dad, that's the highest blessing. My highest joy is to see my kids live in a way that they believe that short of sin, I would do anything to bring the best possible life to them. You see, generosity is genius because trust is God's love language. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Blessed for who? Well, most of all, it blesses God. We want to be a church that blesses God. We want to be a genius church. So one thing we're going to do during these next three weeks is every Monday, get on Instagram. If you don't know what that is, find a teenager and get on the Heels uh, app or uh, connection to Instagram, our account. And we're going to post a little challenge every Monday for three weeks that will help you grow in generosity. Now, here's the thing. Every time you take a step in the direction of faith, Satan shows up to launch a fear attack. Every time. And when you step out in courage in that direction, you bless God. So let me close with a story about a single mom in our church. 
Some years ago, her father, her husband, left her and their children to raise by herself. Finances were tight. It was a struggle. A lady here in our church, knowing that she could use some encouragement, took her to a very nice spa and paid for her to get a massage. Her name was called by an older African-American woman named Daisy. Daisy began to massage her shoulders. And after a couple of minutes, Daisy said, Oh, honey, your heart is broken, isn't it? And she nodded, assuming that her friend had told Daisy about her struggle. And she began to massage, and she asked, Are you a believer? And she nodded again, and Daisy said, well, then I'm going to pray over you. And she did. And then when she was through, she took that young mom's hands, and she said, now listen, are you going to meet with the saints tomorrow? Yes, I am. Here's what you do. You take twice the normal offering you give to God, and you don't put it in the plate. You go find the hand of one of your elders, and you give it to him, and you put it in his hand, and you say, this is my stake in the ground that no matter how tough it's going to be going ahead, I'm going to trust God. And that's what she did. She scraped up the money. She took it to an elder, and she said, you may not even understand this, but this is my saying. As scary as this future looks for me, I'm going to trust God. And she did. And God was good. And God met every need, and she was able to raise these amazing, courageous, faithful children into young followers of Jesus as adults. Oh, and by the way, she thanked her friend, said, thank you for telling Daisy about me. And her friend said, Daisy, who's Daisy? You know what she did? She declared that God is good. She blessed God. And she has been so out blessed. And you can be that genius. So let me pray over you. So Father, would you take this teaching and would you put it deep in our hearts so that it will bear fruit? And we know that Satan is going to try to uproot this teaching. We know he's going to try to sow cynicism and fear into our hearts so that we do not live and give in a way that declares how good you are. So we repudiate all his attempts, God, to fill us with doubt and with fear. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that generosity starts with you. You gave the Son. You sent the Spirit. You birthed the church. Our lives are surrounded with blessings that you gave to us. And so, God, please, help your kids look like their daddy. For Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name, amen.